Let me get my Bible open here, and I encourage you to open your Bibles as well to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians is going to be near the end of your Bible. Uh, it is in the New Testament. It's a letter of the Apostle Paul to a church that he visited, and we, he recorded this actually in the book of Acts. And uh, I came across this passage while I was... Uh, on vacation between Christmas and New Year's, and I was reading my Bible, and I came here, and I was just blown away by it. And then this week, I took it in a completely different direction than I expected to, because this has been a really hard week. It's been actually, I think, a really difficult few months for many of us, maybe half a year or a year. People that we deeply love as a community are going through some really difficult things, some really serious illnesses, not least. We all lost Karen last week. And each one of us have our own stuff that we're dealing with, as well as uh, maybe our work, our own health, our friends and family, and all the insanity that comes with the wonderful and worthy season of Christmas and the new year. And I have to tell you, I feel kind of like a mess this week. Like you, I am mourning Karen. I am recovering from Christmas, as good as it was. A lot of the time this week has just felt like trying to keep my head above water, and I'm not sure if I can do it at the end of the day. And let me update you about my friend uh, we prayed for a few weeks ago who has a brain tumor. Uh, one of my colleagues in ministry pastoring a church in Illinois uh, he had his surgery, and praise God, it was a really successful surgery with some really wonderful stories that go along with it. But he also heard back from pathology this week, and he has stage four brain cancer. And it's not okay. It's not okay. None of this is. Folks, sometimes... We think that our faith means that we should act like everything is fine no matter what. I can't tell you how many people I go to visit and they've lost someone. They say, I'm okay. And I say, no, you're not. You shouldn't be. This is not okay. Death is not right. Don't validate it. Folks, that's not from God. Oh, everything's fine. That's a lie from Satan to keep us away from God. If we would ever think that our faith means that everything should just always be okay. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we can't have joy in these sorts of moments, in the hard moments in life. I'm not saying that God won't give us real peace so that we're somehow finding we can do it, we can make it, even in some strange way, we are okay, even as nothing around us is. But these gifts, that joy and peace, they aren't meant to obscure the terrible state of the world that we live in. And it's not just terrible because there's war in Ukraine. And, you know, I love the world, so don't misunderstand me in that direction either. But this world is so deeply, deeply broken and we all experience it. We all experience, especially in these moments. 
in these moments where we've lost people that we love. Death still reigns, and it's not okay. Even Jesus tells us this. When Lazarus died, if you know the story, Jesus, his friend Lazarus was sick, and Jesus was told about it, and he waited a few days, and Lazarus died while Jesus waited to come to see him. Jesus, who had healed so many. And Jesus arrived, and people, as they were, even as Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, were glad to see Jesus. Some of the people there were saying, if Jesus were here, wouldn't he have stopped this from happening? And we ask those same questions in our world today, don't we? If God was really here, wouldn't he have stopped this from happening? How can God stand idly by? And Jesus comes to the, the front of Lazarus' tomb, and he says, roll away the stone. And the sisters say, don't roll away the stone, because it's been three days, and he smells already. And we don't want that. And it says, in the midst of all of this, did, did Jesus just say, no, everything's fine. You know, let's, it's not really that bad. Did he say, it's all okay? No. Jesus stopped, and he wept even though he knew in just a few moments he was going to raise Lazarus to life again because it wasn't okay, and it's not okay. When Paul reassured the, these same Thessalonians in his first letter that even though their loved ones had died, they, would still, they were still in God's hands. They hadn't missed out on all the good things God had promised because when Jesus comes back, they will rise to life first and then we all will join them. And Paul, when he said this, he didn't say, so don't grieve because it's all okay. He said, grieve, but not as hopeless people. Grieve with hope. And look at the Psalms. If God wanted us to pretend that everything was okay all the time, we'd have to get rid of 37 of the 150 God-breathed psalms. We call those the psalms of lament. Did you know that God's okay with your grief? That it's not a sign that you've failed or that your faith isn't strong when you grieve? Did you know God invites you to that and he shares it with you? God doesn't want us to pretend that the world is okay when it's not. So here's the question then. How, how do we hold these things together? How do we grieve with hope? Because sometimes they seem pretty opposed, don't they? What will give us the strength to get through how can we be a people of hope when the world crumbles all around us? Some of you here this morning came in asking that question. Or you recognize its value for what you're going through right now. Others of you may not be in that moment. You think, I, I'm not grieving. Life is pretty, you know, the world seems pretty okay from where I am. And there are seasons where that is very true. But I'm telling you that even if you don't need it today, you will need it in the future, maybe even as soon as tomorrow. How do Christians like you and I live in days that call for lament? The Bible has a lot to say. I said 37 of the 150 Psalms are about this topic, but we're not going to go through all 37 Psalms. We're only going to be in one place in the Scriptures. 
So I'm not going to say it all this morning, and I'm not really equipped to say it all either. Although these days are hard in my own life, my life has been remarkably free from pain and loss. I certainly don't have a great deal of wisdom. I'm learning alongside you this morning. Let's take a look at what this passage that we read and all these strange things. Did you pick up? It sounded a little Old Testament-y this morning, didn't it? It's like, I love that Charles Wesley hymn, Lowly Comes with Clouds Descending. Uh, especially the, the line that really sticks out to me is, you know, everyone sees Jesus coming back and says, Deeply wailing, deeply wailing, now the Son of God appears. We don't normally sing like that, do we? <laughs> yeah, that's right, deeply wailing. <laughs> Woo! No. Well, let me, let me tell you, as we get into this a little bit, let me, let me start by telling just a little bit about these Thessalonian people and the situation that Paul is speaking into. First of all, the Thessalonian church is a small church, most likely, like ours. A small church, uh, and uh, Paul founded this church in Acts. We can read about it in Acts chapter 17. And if you remember the story, Paul comes into Thessalonica. He goes into the synagogue, as was his practice, and proclaims to all of the Jews and the God-fearers in the region, Jesus is the fulfillment of your hope. And some people believe and some people don't. And the people who don't, very shortly afterward, get an angry mob together and chase Paul out of town. So we know Paul and his missionary companions were not in Thessalonica very long. Which means that that church, I mean, Paul must have, we know he did from the things that he writes, he must have worried over these people quite a bit. I was just there a little while. I just gave them a little bit, and now they have to stand so often on their own. But Paul's observation about these people is, and he says it in both First and Second Thessalonians, which may not be the only letters he wrote to them, but are the only letters we have. He says we, in 1 Thessalonians, we always thank God for all of you. We continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says in, in the passage we read this morning, we always ought to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. And so we brag about you in front of all the churches of God. You are a model church. You get it. You are living it. Good but there's something else that's true about this Thessalonian church. Remember how Paul was greeted in Thessalonica. He was chased out of town by the mob with pitchfork and torches. And that opposition didn't stop when Paul left. The church in Thessalonica was under constant persecution, constant oppression, was undergoing constant tribulation, as we translate one of these words here in verse 4. Life was not okay for the people in Thessalonica. It wasn't the way it should have been. For believing the truth, their circumstances were the worst. And maybe they would have been tempted to believe several different things. They might have been tempted to believe, well, we must be doing it wrong. Like, everyone can't be so angry at us if we're doing it right. Maybe we're doing it wrong. 
Or, you know, God surely would be nicer to us if we were doing it right. So maybe we're doing it wrong. Well, first of all, we all know that uh, one of the great things about democracy is it tends to stave off some of the worst impulses of human nature, right? Because if you've got one person who's holding all the power, there's no one to stop them from indulging in the worst parts of their personality and of their desires. But when you have a bunch of people together, you tend to even out some of those rough spots, Right? You following me? Does that make sense? Do we all agree? Would you like to be totalitarian this morning or would you like to live in a democracy? Okay. I'm going to assume democracy. No one said anything, but just for the purposes of my sermon, it's more convenient if you say democracy. But we also know something else about democracy. We can all be wrong. Right? Sometimes nobody is right. Every once in a while, you know, when, when my kids argue, sometimes I like to say, and it's not just true of children, it's true of us adults, because we act like children all the time. Sometimes I like to say, there are no heroes here, only villains. I don't go around calling my children villains, by the way, just in case you're concerned. But there's no one here who is right. You have, we have all succeeded in doing it. So while the opinion and judgments of people outside of our community and outside of our group can carry value, they are not automatically correct. And Paul's saying that's the case with you Thessalonians. You're on the right track, and don't let anyone discourage you from that. Now, how do you determine if you're on the right track? Well, for us as Christians, we look at Scripture, and we say, are we being obedient to Scripture, no matter what the world around us says? And we ask each other. We do this in community because one person can be wrong. You know what? A hundred people can be wrong, but they're more likely to get it right when they work together than when they work apart. So that's a way we can protect ourselves there and make sure that we're being the people God has called us to be. But these Thessalonians, no matter how bad things around them get, they seem to just age like a fine wine. They seem to get better every day. I love how Paul describes them. He says, your faith is growing more and more. No matter what the pressures are around you, you continue to do what is right, I think is what Paul is saying. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Every day you take better care of each other. You love each other better. You value each other better. You put each other ahead of yourselves better. You are a community that anyone would want to be a part of. There's an example to live up to, isn't it? You are a model church, Paul says. But as for these challenges in your circumstances all around you, what are you to make of those? Well, Paul, he says this. He said, the fact that uh, your faith is growing, your love is growing, And that we, as your spiritual parents, brag about you to the other churches is evidence that God has judged rightly about you. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. And then he says this, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Anyone like to hear that in the midst of your struggle or your difficulty? God says he will make it right. 
And the point isn't that we're vindictive, right? Like, yeah, get those jerks. I hate those people. But the point is that one day there will be a reckoning and an accounting where God will say, this was what was true and this was what was false. And when God does that, the people who are being true will be vindicated. Because right now, they may be being torn down. They may be hearing from others, you are the problem with the world. And there will come a day when God will make clear, no, you weren't the problem, you were the solution, and it's a shame that no one else could recognize that. He'll show the world for what it is and what a good thing that will be. Except we're probably all a little bit nervous because we know that we haven't always been on the right side, have we, so to speak. Not that we're about sides particularly, like us versus them. There's a great moment in the book of Joshua where Joshua and, and the people of Israel, they're coming into the promised land and they're scouting out Jericho to try and fit in. It's Jericho. It's got these incredible fortifications and they have no idea how they're going to get in. So they're scouting all around trying to find a weakness and they find a guy in the middle of the desert and he's standing there shining and he's got a sword, which is weird, right? If you come in, in the desert, you find this imposing-looking guy holding a sword out. You're probably like, who the heck are you? And that's exactly what Joshua says. Are you for us or are you against us? And it turns out this is an angel sent by God. And the angel says, neither. But I am on the side of the armies of the Lord. See, we make all of these you know, human us versus them things all the time, right? And God doesn't do it that way. He doesn't say, well, I like that group of people, but I really don't care for that group of people, so I'm going to oppose those, those together. God says, you can have what's right and good and beautiful and true in me, or you can have your way. There are two sides, mine and anything else. And which will you choose? And Joshua has, he's reoriented, isn't he? Because he thought God's on our side and really God's saying, would you like to be on my side? Get the difference and why that's significant? Will God bless my purposes or will God bless me when I care about his purposes? <clears throat> so Paul says to these people who are suffering unjustly, God sees, and he will make it right. When will he make it right? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Anyone a little disappointed in the timing? Yeah. Like, I was hoping for today, God, you know, like right now. God says, no, it's coming. It's coming at the right moment. It's coming at the right time. So here's the question. Is that enough? Is it enough that God will make it right when Jesus comes back? Is it enough to live through the unfairness and the injustice today? Is it enough to wake up to yet another day of aching bones and joints and try and struggle through? Is it enough when you're dealing with crippling disease? Is it enough when you're depressed by the broken relationships in your life, or even for reasons you can't understand, and every morning you just wake up that way and you don't know how to change it? Is it enough 
that one day Jesus is coming back, and at that time, he will make it all okay and all right. I think it's not only enough, I think it's necessary. When I, uh, in 2020, uh, if you were here then, you know, I had to take a month off because I had uh, herniated discs in my back, I had another problem as well, and I was just in agony for sometimes, you know, sometimes it'd be okay, uh, although not great, but sometimes I couldn't even get up out of my chair. I was in bad shape. And, and I realized as I was going through this, you know, backs are tricky. A number of you have problems with your backs as well. And sometimes there's only so much that medicine can do for you, and sometimes there's nothing more that medicine can do for you. And so I, it was a day where I couldn't get out of my chair, and I was sitting, you know, lying in my recliner, depressed and discouraged, and I thought, I may never get out of my chair. What's the guarantee? What's the guarantee that it'll be better? And I realized there's no guarantee, even at 38, however old I was in 2022, 20, 2020. I know how old I am in 2022, I promise. <laughs> but in 2020, at 38, will I ever get out of my stinking chair? And I realized this is maybe a more true picture of the way the world is than the, my life up to this moment. Because, for one thing, I've been relatively healthy and not everybody is. We live in a world where awful things happen, sometimes for no discernible reason at all, where babies can be born disabled and handicapped. When I was in seminary, one of my classmates, uh, his wife miscarried late in the pregnancy, and it was late enough that she actually had to go into labor to deliver her dead baby. That's the world that we live in. And we forget. And we forget. And as I was lying back in my chair, doing a lot better than a lot of people in the world, I realized what I need is not healing in my back. What I need is a new body, is a new kind of world where these things don't happen anymore. I became a pastor in part because uh, I have a family member who struggled with addiction for many years. And I always used to get phone calls on Sunday mornings because Saturday night was party night. And one Sunday morning, I got a phone call from my parents where they said this family member is in jail because last night they got drunk and they attacked somebody with a knife. And thankfully, no one is hurt other than this person. Uh, and they'll be okay. And we try, you know, we, we live in a world where addiction makes slaves out of the people we care about and sometimes even out of we ourselves. And I hung up the phone and I wept. And I said, I have to spend the rest 
of my life, wherever God will send me and whatever he will do with me, so that we will live in a different sort of world someday, where there are no Sunday morning phone calls like this. See, we need the delay. We need the delay because it reminds us that the world is not okay. Jesus is coming back and he will make it right. He will reveal the truth about the world, not just about who was right and who was wrong, but about the things that are good and beautiful and true because how often have we sat in our lives trying to make the best out of a bad situation, choosing the least bad of our options, and I'm not just talking about every election that we ever have, but about so many things in our lives where we're just trying to choose the least bad option. There's a day coming when God will show us the good choices. How can we be confident? How can we be confident that that hope is enough for us, is good for us, that it will come true for us? Well, here's what Paul, te- you know, again, he says, all this, your growing faith, your abundant love, is evidence that God's judgment is right. Because God has chosen you, Paul tells the Thessalonians. He has chosen you. He has given you faith. He has made you his followers. And the fact that you are living like his followers is proving it was a good choice. So if we want to stay in that hope, we follow. We follow Jesus. When that difficulty comes, and maybe it comes in the form of oppression by the people around us, unjust accusations like the Thessalonians are getting, we continue on in the things that are good. We continue on in the manner of Jesus Christ, not just pursuing the things that are good, but being good ourselves along the way by the power of the Holy Spirit. Even as we're hanging on the cross, metaphorically speaking, I hope, like Jesus Christ looking out at the people who hung him there and saying, God, forgive them, having that attitude in our hearts toward the people surrounding us, which is why I never want to hear a single one of us ever bad-mouthing anyone else, because Jesus never would. And I know that's hard. We continue on as as Jesus continues on. And here's what scripture says. We said, did you catch it this morning? We were in the prayer of confession. We said that the, de- the, the hole that sin has made for us is too deep for any good deed or any number of good deeds to fill. So what do we do? How do we make ourselves right? Well, the answer is we can't make ourselves right, but God is willing to do just that. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom. Hear what it says. It doesn't say you on your own will be worthy. It says God will count your faith as worthiness. Do you want to know if God is pleased with you? Do you trust him? And how far? And that's it. That's it. And that, by the way, that trust in God is what changes the pattern of our life so that we grow in faith and abundant love. Because if we really trust Jesus, we'll do what he said. We can be confident 
that the second coming will really make it right if we persevere to the end. God counts that perseverance as worthiness. And then there's this, this, I don't fully understand this. I did some work on it, and I think there's more here than I learned. But Paul says at the end of this passage, with this in mind, all that Jesus is going to do for you, we constantly pray for you. What's, what's Paul's prayer? This is, such a, this is what caught my heart. That our God may make you worthy of his calling. Do you know that God will make you worthy of his calling? You won't end up in heaven or on the new earth as somebody who people are like, how'd that guy get in? Right? Or how'd that woman get in? There's a, a show on TV, The Good Place. I don't know if it's still running, Kristen Bell, and she, she's supposed to go to hell, but she, by, through a mistake, ends up in heaven or something along those lines, and she totally doesn't belong. And she's messing everything up for everyone else. And that's not how it works. I mean, whatever, I'm not criticizing. They're not trying to be really deeply theological, I think, but, but God will make you worthy. He'll make you belong. We like to joke that if you ever find a perfect church, don't go because you'll mess it up. But there's coming a day where God will say, I am making a perfect church out of people like you. And you won't mess it up anymore. He will make us worthy. And our worthiness is not just about like, you know, <laughs> look how great I am. These are suspenders, by the way, in case you can't tell. I am worthy. I am so good. Like, are you worthy? Because I'm worthy. Won't be like that. Our worthiness will always point back to Jesus Christ. And people will say, look at what Jesus has done in Ian's life. Because I remember him before. And he wasn't anything to brag about. But he is something to be excited about now. Because of what Jesus has done for him. Look how good Jesus is, and how good Ian is, how good Junior is, or Tom is, or Debbie is, or anyone else is in Jesus. And we'll share that glory together. If you're here this morning, and this week has been a struggle, let me just tell you, you're not alone. And let me tell you as well, that God will make it right in a way that acknowledges that it's broken today, but that somehow makes it good forever.